Hello, and welcome back for the second time this week to the Golden Hurricast. We are a weekly podcast covering Golden Hurricane Athletics at the University of Tulsa. I am Ryan Token, and Matt Rectin will be joining us in just a bit. Um, this, <laughs> this is the second episode of the week, if you haven't noticed, episode 14 for the season. Um, in the earlier episode, episode 13, we spent a good hour and a half <laughs> talking about the SMU game. Uh, crazy, crazy game against SMU, and answering a ton of, honestly, very, very good uh, listener questions that we had a lot of fun answering. So thank you very much to everybody who sent in those questions um, over the weekend for us to answer. Um, Be sure to give that a listen. We had a lot of fun recording that one. But (laughs) because that episode was a full hour and a half, we wanted to split the two-lane preview into its own episode, and this is the perfect week to split a preview episode into its own because we've got J.P. Gooderham from Fear the Wave joining the show today. JP is pretty much the best at what he does. <laughs> he covers Tulane football better than anyone else in our uh, in our humble opinions here on the show. Um, we were super psyched to talk to him. Uh, we talked to him for a good 50 minutes, 55 minutes, and we hope you enjoy it as much as we did. We really had a great time. So let's bring on JP from Fear of the Wave. Stay golden. Hurricane. Okay, and we are here with J.P. Gooderham from Fear the Wave. Fear the Wave, uh, if you don't know about them, I'm I'm sure you probably do if you listen to our podcast or follow us on Twitter. Uh, They're around all the time. They do a little bit of everything. They've got a podcast, a blog, a newsletter. They run the AAC blogger poll that comes out every week, if you've seen that. Um, Really just doing an awesome job. And I know that J.P., who we've got here with us, also has a private podcasting company called Storyboard, which you are more than welcome to plug if you want to, JP, if not, totally, totally fine. But uh, just wanted to kick things off, say, or ask you how you're doing, how are things going, um, you know, all things considered in, in 2020. What a roller coaster. Yes, it's been a <laughs> yeah. crazy 2020 for America. It's been a crazy 2020 for college football, and it's been a crazy 2020 for us as Tulane fans. And thank you for the, the warm introduction. I've never had someone uh, plug what I do in real life, so that's, <laughs> that's kind of interesting. That's a first for me, but uh, you know, as you mentioned, I'm a, a huge Tulane fan and have been running Fear of the Wave for, uh, we turned 10, I think in two weeks. So it's, uh, it's been wow. a long time guys. Very nice. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think it's really awesome that you do this, the, the private podcasting company storyboard there. So definitely wanted to give it a shout out and you're more than welcome to talk about it, um, later on in the show as well, but yeah, just super glad to have you on. I know, uh, you were one of the first guests we had last year. And we were super hyped to get to talk to you. Um, so glad to have you back on the show and looking forward to getting into some some Green Wave talk. So first things first, um, wanted to start off by <laughs> acknowledging first that Tulsa was not the only team to have a historic win this past weekend. Saw some tweets, I think mostly from you guys, that uh, the win over Army was the first win for Tulane over a team ranked by either the AP or the coaches poll since 1984. So I felt like I felt like there was no other way to start off this interview um, other than acknowledging how awesome that is and giving you your deserving congratulations. Yeah, thank you. You know, I think I think for Tulane and and it was uh, as you allude to, Tulane has a 
absolutely wretched history against ranked teams. And it, as you, you talk about, it goes back to 1984 when Tulane beat Vanderbilt, who was ranked at the time. And it has been kind of a comedy of errors since then. I mean, it's been, it's ranged from, from, you know, just years where you just flat out weren't very good. And so you play, had ranked teams on the schedule and nothing worked out. And then you fast forward to this year and Tulane loses to number 19 SMU at the time by a field goal in overtime. And it just had this feeling that it, it wouldn't end. And, you know, Tulane hasn't had a great college football history in the last 30 years, but as people remember, you know, there were teams like the 1998 undefeated Tulane green wave that rose to the top 10 in the AP poll. And ironically, you know, they were in conference USA and everyone was bad. And so it didn't matter, you know, they probably could have gone toe to toe with just about any team in the country. They never got a shot at a single ranked team that year. So it's been a long time. And I think, you know, you look at, at, at the game against army and I think, you know, it's really exciting to just kind of get the proverbial monkey off your back, obviously with beating any ranked team. But if you want to be a stickler, Army was not ranked number 25 in the AP poll, unlike Tulsa. So right. <laughs> the people in my mentions who were like, are we really celebrating the coaches poll? Well, hey, Tulane's going to get its shot against what we think is a, a really solid Tulsa team coming in this year and, and doing it on the road. So it's going to be a big one. Hey, man. I mean, if it's been since 1984, since you've beat either an AP ranked poll or a coaches poll team, I'm celebrating that 100% of the time. I, I would never blame you for that. It's absurd. It's, it's the, you know, I, I, first of all, it's been, it's, I I love the Tulane community. You know, I've been doing this, as I mentioned for 10 years and we've, we've done the whole roller coaster of emotions in in doing that of teams being good and bad and everything in between. And, you know, you can't, you were not in a position where I think you can sneeze at, you know, success, whatever, whatever (laughs) it looks like. So it drives me crazy when people do, but uh, that's Twitter for you. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. No doubt about it there. Um, but yeah, so, uh, kind of like you're saying, um, it's been, a, it's been a topsy-turvy year so far for you, for you guys, even this season in 2020, five and four on the year, uh, two of those wins are conference wins. Um, but they are against, uh, what I think is fair to say the bottom tier of the conference in East Carolina and Temple, um, not counting South Florida there, but two of the, probably the bottom three, um, obviously a great win against army, which we just talked about ranked number 25 in the coaches poll and a very close loss, like you mentioned, to that SMU team. Uh, but now it's a three-game win streak, and Tulane looks like they're rolling. Uh, plenty to talk about with what the team is looking like um, more recently. But what, I guess, would you say the story of the team so far has been for the Green Wave? You know, if I had to pick out one narrative or even one player, it would be the quarterback situation and the young gunslinger, Michael Pratt out of Florida. And and I think the reason it's such a narrative on the season is that I think the way you frame this or teed it up is, is accurate, which is that Tulane has, it's, you know, it's been tremendous three consecutive double digit wins. You know, two of them are over ECU and temple who we know are not very good army, whether or not you think they deserve to be in the top 25, given how soft their schedule was. And if you look it up, I mean, it was cupcake factory soft. (laughs) There were like three FCS teams on there, but whatever, you know, I think army was a reasonably solid team with that said, I I think you really have to go back to this uh, kind of stretch of terror that Tulane hit to really start the season when they played in consecutive games. Uh, They played what SMU Houston and UCF. And not only did you have those three games in a row that are, are challenging games against better teams in this conference, but that really was the beginning of freshman quarterback Michael Pratt mm-hmm. getting to, to really have the keys to the car. And so that's nothing against Pratt. He certainly didn't lose those games, particularly UCF, where I think the offense was, was pretty dang good. But it's like 
Tulane has really not had a stretch of the season where they've come into their own yet and played a team that, you know, they really want to have a serious chance of knocking off. And I think you look at this Tulsa game and that's the intrigue. That's the narrative, which is, you know, this offense in particular has had a chance to start to settle in. They've shown some really good signs. Tulane has seven consecutive games of 30 plus points. That's the nice. first time that's happened since 1998. It's been a <laughs> while. We've had a lot of really bad offenses. And I think the question of this game is, all right, now you're going up against a Tulsa team that we know is good. And not only is this a Tulsa team that we know is good, they're like number 31 in the nation on defense, according to the ESPN SP+. This is a good battle. And I'm really excited to see this as a test for Tulane and whether they've really turned the corner or they've benefited from some softer competition. Yeah, me as well. And I saw that the spread is a it's a five point, or at least it opened as a five point favorite for Tulsa. And I think that's a good number. I mean, I, I don't feel great about this game. Tulsa has really struggled against Tulane the past three years. I think you guys have won the last three straight. Um, so it's going to be, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. We can get, you know, we can talk more about how we think that game's going to go later on. But uh, it's a it's an interesting opening line. But um, something else you mentioned just now was was Michael Pratt, right? And so he, I think, did he take over? Was it was it the start of the third game, or did he come in halfway through the second game, or what was the what was the deal there? Well, he that's exactly right. So he came in actually midway in the Southern Miss game. Okay. Tulane at the time was down. Tulane ended up posting a sixty six right. point game. Okay, <laughs> yeah. which is the most points anyone has scored in Southern Miss's stadium since it opened in like nineteen seventy. <laughs> and so with that. Uh, the job was his, right? Which very, very deservedly so. And, you know, I think that you look at Tulane's record and, and of course they're coming in five and four and two and four in the league. Probably the game that everyone wants back was Tulane against Navy when Navy won on a last second field goal. I think the score was 27 mm-hmm. to 24. Pratt did not play a single down in that game. It was the second game of the season. And Tulane was very committed to the senior transfer quarterback, Keon Howard, who, right you know, by all accounts, people kind of in the program are really impressed with what he did in the summer. Uh, he's been said to be a really great leader, which, you know, there was a lot of hope that he was, would be able to run the show this year. But unfortunately, when, you know, we actually saw the game action, Tulane was not really figuring out what that offense should look like with him. And once Pratt comes in, I mean, the thing that has completely changed for anyone, because obviously Tulane and Tulsa, two former AEC West teams, I'm sure a lot of the people listening remember those games. Tulane under Willie Fritz has historically been a run first and sometimes almost a run only team, right? Both as a byproduct of the system and then also a byproduct of the fact that Tulane has not had a quarterback in the entire Fritz era who has looked particularly comfortable throwing the football. That's the reality. And in comes Michael Pratt for the first two times in the, the Fritz era. And he's been here for what, five, five, six, five or six years now. Uh, Tulane has now thrown the football more than they've run the football. That is a seismic, <laughs> paradigmatic shift in the way that Tulane is running this offense. So it's something very different than I think we've seen from some of these Tulane and Tulsa games in the past. Yeah. And just to clarify, is he a, is he a freshman or is he a sophomore? True freshman, true freshman. So he, what's crazy is, and I think one of the things that look, there's a lot of teams that are going to have question marks because of the way COVID affected who could play, who sat out all those things. So I'm, I'm not trying to make an excuse, but, but it is interesting that, if you think about a normal season, Michael Pratt enrolls early, which he did. He would have got a full spring of practices. He would have got the spring game. And I have to think that he probably would have won the job right off the bat in that situation. Mm-hmm. But practice, you know, practice gets shut down. 
uh, Pratt ends up basically coming into camp as a true freshman and doesn't win the job. And I think that that might've been the difference maker, but I think Tulane fans really see him as the best Tulane quarterback since Ryan Griffin back in the conference USA days. I mean, he has shown uh, a lot of ability to throw the football, a lot of confidence. And, you know, I think he's progressing. I think he's, he's getting better, especially as you, as, as he was given the chance to play some of the weaker teams in the AAC. Yeah. I mean, especially as a true freshman, right? I mean, you can't look at that guy and not think that Tulane's pretty much set for the next four years uh, or three years, I guess, at a minimum, depending on how well uh, he does and, and keeps doing. Um, but you something, think, um, oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Just jump in. Do you think that Fritz plays like calls a conservative passing game, even with like having Pratt as a stronger quarterback than you guys think you might've had in the past? Cause like, it seems like even though he's, I think against army, he th- was like 70% of, uh, completion rate but it was still like right hovering right around that 200 yard mark is that just kind of their um the game plan for Tulane I think so I mean I think that that they haven't totally and it's it's been evolving as I mentioned before the offense if you just did a very simple breakdown of run versus pass plays the offense in the beginning of the Pratt era as we might call it looked pretty close to what Tulane was trying to do in the past and then you know a couple things happened Pratt has really, I think, earned some confidence with the way he's played. He hasn't given up the football a whole lot. I think he has 12 touchdowns to four interceptions so far. Uh, And, you know, I think the other thing, too, is the injury to Tulane's kind of rising star running back, Tajay Spears, which isn't to say that Tulane doesn't have good backs. They do. Mm -hmm. One of the big strengths of this team has historically under Fritz been that you have a lot of running backs. Um, But Spears, you know, to be honest, looked really good. And I I think that was a big disappointment for him to have a season-ending injury. I think to your point, I think that, you know, we're still acclimating uh, to what this offense might look like with more passing. I think it's been a little bit of a slow burn as, you know, progressively we've moved more toward the passing game. I think if you look at Army, I think Pratt finished with like 197 yards. The other thing that I'm just going to be honest with you that that is a point of frustration is that, you know, I think Pratt in that game goes like 19 for 27. But if you actually watch the tape, probably 23 or 24 of those passes should have been caught. The reality this year is that our receivers, there's, there's some challenges there. Uh, two lanes receivers last year were terrific. Uh, Darnell Mooney has kind of been a breakout star in the NFL as a rookie for the bears. Um, Jalen McCleskey, uh, who is, I think the, the all time leading, uh, wide receiver in receptions or top five or something like that for Oklahoma state before he transferred. Um, you know, you had two really good wide receivers, but, Tulane had no one to throw to them. And so it, it, they just were never really a huge, not, not to say they didn't have big plays, but, you know, on a, a, a drive to drive basis, the passing game was not a factor last year. And I think the challenge this year is that now you have someone who can pass, but you'll see it. I mean, there will be a check down throw on like a third and 11 where he's going to hit somebody in the numbers. And, and those were the plays that I think kind of allowed army to hang around maybe longer than they should have. So that, that ties in well with kind of the next things I wanted to get into, which were the receivers and the running backs. Let's start with the receivers. Um, and, you know, some of, the, some of the big names that I think jump off the page are the Watts twins, right, with Deuce and Fat Watts. And then the, uh, who I think are juniors. Uh, are they, is that right? They're juniors? That's, that's right. They're, they're Juco transfers okay. and juniors this year. Yep. Okay. That's what I thought. And then you've also got sophomore Jaquan Jackson. So are those three guys, some of the guys that are dropping these balls? Is it other guys? Is it kind of everybody across the board or what's the, what's going on with the receiving core? You know, I'm not going to, I wouldn't put it on any one player. I think, I think drops have been a problem this year. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even if you look at uh, Michael Jones, for instance, uh, Oklahoma transfer. So he came from a huge program. Yep. Uh, if anyone is a, a kind of a follows Oklahoma football a little bit on the side, I know you're a Tulsa <laughs> fan, obviously, but uh, you might even remember Michael Jones was a, a factor a few years ago in a Big 12 championship game. So he had played in some big situations, but, you know, really across the board, young guys, older guys, uh, we've seen issues with drops this year. Uh, now, I'll keep it positive for a second. I think Jaquan Jackson is becoming the breakout player of this yeah. wide receiving core. Uh, and he did a bunch, if you watch the Army tape, he did a bunch of things that were really interesting. Now, he made some big catches, which was really important. So he was more reliable in kind of that third and 11 situation. Uh, and then they also could kind of use him out of the backfield and, and run some other looks because he's a lot of speed. And he's young. I think Jaquan Jackson is going to be a guy who is going to continue to, you know, especially because it looks like Pratt's going to be the guy going forward. I think they could have some really good chemistry there. And if Jackson, uh, you know, brings a strong game, I think that's a really good sign for the Tulane offense. Awesome. Yeah. And then the, uh, so yeah, I wanted, I wanted to bring up Jackson then also the Watts twins. So you said they're Juco transfers. Um, what's the story of them? I mean, they, I, I think they are actually twins, right? They're not just, uh, brothers. No, they're, they're, uh, they're identical twins, uh, Deuce and fat Watts. It's P H A T. Those are two all timers. Yeah, in the I know. <laughs> Tulane name Hall of Fame up there with uh, Fudge Van Hooser and uh, some of the other Tulane players of yesteryear. But, uh, you know, I think looking at them, first of all, they're, they're, uh, they're transfers out of Mississippi. Uh, they actually went to high school, I believe, in Petal, Mississippi, where they went to the same high school as Tulane running back Stephen Hutterson. Uh, nice. They took the Juco path. And, you know, the idea basically was the Tulane had this huge gap uh, in terms of who we we're going to be putting in the, uh, the depth chart for, for our wideouts. And, uh, you know, I think I would argue uh, Deuce probably has had the stronger season so far. Deuce has had some some really nice plays. Uh, I think Fat has, you know, also had some some times where the drops have been more of a question. But, uh, you know, they're definitely both a factor. And then other than Jackson uh, and those two, I would say the other two guys I would highlight would be uh, Michael Jones, who I mentioned before. Uh, he's an Oklahoma grad transfer who came to Tulane this year. And then tight end Tyrick James has been a guy who uh, Pratt has been trying to target a little bit more. He's a bigger body. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I'll say this, the challenge, I think in Tulane, I love the advanced metrics as people who might follow us know Tulane last year, after having a bad offense for basically 22 years, uh, Tulane puts together a top 40 offense last year in that SP plus stat, uh, without being able to really throw the football, which is, it's just dang impressive (laughs) to do that. Right. right? When you, you, you effectively are kind of making yourself an option team. Uh, I think this year, what's been impressive is that they've been able to, they haven't had all the pieces, but the offense is absolutely the strength of the team. And, you know, just being able to throw the football is a really big deal when you're in that third and 12 situation, when you can only run and, you know, run a pitch or something and just hope the defense screws up. It's a different situation than what Pratt can do now. And I think the next question for Tulane is, can you clean it up? Can you get more out of your receivers so that, you know, especially on those deep passes where Pratt's throwing a beautiful ball right now, but you know, it's hitting a guy in the hands and just bouncing off every time. It's like, those are the plays that I think are the difference between an okay team and a good team and a good team and a great team. Right. And you mentioned the, the recent improvement of the offense and you got to, you know, attribute that to, um, engineer of all of that, which is OC Will Hall, um, you know, behind him, what is, I guess, what's the, what is he doing that is so effective? And I I think it's fair to probably call him one of the better offensive coordinators, one of the more well-known offensive coordinators in the conference. Um, what is he doing that is making Tulane's offense click so well? And how long do you think he sticks around? 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the question that a lot of fans want to talk about. I, I posted something on Twitter because the nature of college football is that when, when a team is losing, uh, which Tulane, when they were two and four, it was getting kind of dark <laughs> because <laughs> Fritz signed an extension this year, seven-year extension. Mm-hmm. Uh, and meanwhile, you know, Tulane gets off to, I think it's worst start in a couple of years. And you read these message boards and there's just no perspective, right? Oh, yeah. People immediately, why, you know, not only should we not have extended him, we should have been firing him. Uh, people saying that Will Hall is gimmicky and that he's only auditioning for other jobs. You know, I think uh, what I can say is this, Tulane, if you go back to 2006, and why do I choose 2006? 2006 was the year that Matt Forte had 2,000 yards, 2,000 plus yards rushing, and <laughs> Tulane was not a top 90 offense. Yeah. Okay? And in 18 of the 20 years after that, uh, <laughs> Tulane uh, was like ranked 100th or worse, Oof. all but two years, basically. Jeez. And what I'm getting at is, you know, for anyone who who can remember seeing Tulane football over the years against Tulsa, our offense was bad. It wasn't even mediocre. It was bad. You look at Will Hall, who technically he hasn't even really had enough recruiting cycles to say that his talent is in place. And Tulane is objectively one of the better offenses in the league. Mm-hmm. They're number 24 right now in the country in points per game. These are completely uncharted waters when you compare that to Tulane history. And all of this is to say, Will Hall is good at his job, <laughs> despite what any of the message board people will tell you. And I think the other part of your question is, well, how long does he stay? And, you know, none of us know, you know, everyone said he was going to be gone last year, right? That, you know, look, Ole Miss is opening up. Maybe Lane Kiffin brings him on as an offensive coordinator. He's from Mississippi. His dad is a legend in Mississippi high school football. And, you know, I think if you have a great offensive coordinator or a great head coach in, in, in you know, the AEC, uh, you can't fool yourself. There's always going to be an option where someone with huge pockets is going to come into play. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we haven't really had any signs that would happen. I think the the question mark I would look at would be the Southern Miss opening. Uh, but, you know, as inept as that football program is, they'll probably hire, <laughs> you know, just some guy off the street or, you know, something like that, a history teacher, who knows. But uh, we'll see what happens when the dust settles. Yeah, you know, I mean, I hope he sticks around if- – you know, a really long time. I just like watching his teams play ball. So the longer he's sticking around the American, I can keep watching him, uh, the better in my opinion. So hopefully that keeps on rolling. Um, but shifting a little bit to the running back room. Um, I don't think I'm being a biased fan of, of either team really. When I say that, that I think Tulsa and Tulane have two of the deepest running back rooms in the, in the league. And like you, uh, which you mentioned already, we lost one of our best running backs for the season early, uh, right before the first game, actually. And I know you guys lost Ty J Spears uh, out for the year early as well with, a, I think it was a torn ACL. Um, but for both teams, it, it seems like the running game is still in pretty great hands uh, for you guys between Cam Carroll, Steven Hutterson, and Amari Jones. Um, talk about the running back room a bit and which of those three guys, I know probably the answer, if I was including Ty J Spears would be Ty J Spears, but which of the three, not including him gets you the most excited? You know, I think, I think the guy who, uh, you know, when he's on, it's a really big deal for this offense is Amari Jones. who's just a very shifty running back. He was a punt returner and kick returner going into this year. And he's got a lot of speed and, you know, I think Tulane, they had tried to use him a lot in the passing game and get him out of the backfield. And what they've started to return to, I think he's had a resurgence as they've used him as a more traditional running back. Cause I think he's just, that's where he's doing his best work right now. And it's using his talents most effectively. Uh, Cam Carroll is, I mean, this is going to be like, I like all of them, but I do, they just do different things. Right. 
Cam Carroll is more the bulldozer and he's the guy who, you know, he gets going and, and he can start dragging guys. He, I mean, he's the guy who's going to get the football on like a third and two. Uh, and then Stefan Hutterson, who I mentioned before, I'm, I'm really excited that, you know, that one kind of huge negative of Spears going down is that on the positive side, Hutterson has kind of had a revival as a senior. I mean, he was a phenomenal player in Mississippi high school football. Uh, he's an undersized running back. And, you know, for one reason or another, it felt like he just wasn't really a huge factor in the Tulane offense his first three seasons. This year, he certainly is. And, you know, he's a guy who I think can do some good things, especially once he gets to the second level. Um, so I, I'd say that if I could choose one running back to have a breakout game, if Amari is having a really good game, that probably tells me Tulane's in good shape. Uh, but I think all three of those running backs can, can definitely be dangerous, and you should expect all three of them to get the rock. Yeah, it's a similar deal, right? So we lost Shamari Brooks right before the first game. And, um, you know, I was I was thinking that Tulsa might have the best running back room in the in the country, or the country, the conference um, before that happened. And, um, you know, I still think we are up there. But Tulane, obviously, battling hard for that spot, probably probably the best in the league at, at that position group right now, um, playing really, really well. And I'd say it's a similar approach, right? Like I'm, I'm looking right now and, and you've got basically three different running backs who have had 25 attempts or more. And it's one of these things where you're not going to have kind of the high profile, uh, you know, one back who kind of runs the show or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe like a Kenny Gainwell or something like that. But I think what you do get is just a lot of firepower and, you know, a lot of ability to, to, to change guys out. Uh, and I, I think that's a really good comp between those two teams. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so moving to defense a little bit, and you kind of mentioned offense has been the overwhelming strength of the team so far. Um, on the defensive end, Tulane is number 72 in the country in terms of total defense, which is just average yards per game that they allow with 418. Uh, but there are, I mean, some really, really well-known guys on that side of the ball, some real ballers. Uh, the names that always come to mind for me are guys like Cam Sample, Patrick Johnson, Jeffrey Johnson, those kind of guys, all of which are on the D-line, right, and are – Our head coach, Phil Montgomery, came out uh, today, I believe, and was talking about how he thinks that this Tulane defensive front is the best defensive front we've faced this season. That includes uh, Oklahoma State, who's got Trace Ford on their D-line, who's going to be a first-round draft pick most likely. Um, In terms of the defense, is, is is the defensive front being Tulane's strength what you expected coming into this year? I assume, yeah, because you've got all that experience, but even if it is, um, what would you say, I guess, is the, is the second biggest and who are the guys that kind of the keys to making that defense take for the green wave? I mean, I agree with everything you said and it kind of, you know, it's a bummer because I think the two lane defensive line would be getting respect nationally if this defense as a whole was any good, you know, but the reality is it's just, it's a, it's not been a good year defensively, you know, across the units basically. And, and I'll talk about why that, that happens, but let's start with the positive, right? Mm-hmm. The defensive line is returning. They had kind of a, a bad 2019, and they were expected to be great. Uh, Phil Steele had them as a top 25 unit across college football, which for a G5 team, I think if you have an offensive line or a defensive line that can stand up with the quote-unquote Power 5 programs, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And right. we really thought Tulane was going to do that last year. Well, fast forward, there's a bunch of injuries. It got really, really thin, and, and they just they, – they struggled you know, throughout the year with a lot of guys, uh, kind of going out this year though, they had all the firepower. Uh, so they have, they're really led by Patrick Johnson, former AAC preseason player of the year. Patrick Johnson has delivered. He is currently the leading, 
uh, leading the NCAA in sacks coming into this game. Uh, he set the two-lane record already for career sacks. He's a, re- he's a real McCoy. That's what it gets down to. Patrick Johnson is a big destructive presence when it comes to that defense. Uh, and then the kind of other guy as a defensive end who you know everyone should really know is going to be Cam Sample. Mm-hmm. And obviously a lot of the attention goes to Johnson because he's so explosive. Sample is like an NFL body and an NFL talent who yeah. I think primarily because he's been out and has lost some time. He didn't really have kind of the hype coming into this year that some of those other players had, uh, but he, he's terrific. And just yesterday, he got invited already to the Reese's Senior Bowl. So when I say he's an NFL level talent, I mean, yeah, like he's an NFL level talent and, and you know, has a really good shot to be, uh, you know, a solid draft pick going into this next draft. Uh, and then there's some other guys there who I, I would definitely point out as well. Uh, Jeffrey Johnson, who uh, he's a big dude. He, they call him the big easy. And he really uh, was a guy who, if you looked at his offer list, you probably would be shocked that he went to Tulane. Uh, he had offers, you know, through his cycle with schools like Florida state and Alabama. And essentially I think the situation was like a health one where he might've been even misdiagnosed or something like that. And uh, he kind of fell off the radar of all these big programs and ultimately fell to Tulane. Uh, he's great. He's, he's just a big dude. He's destructive. He had a kind of funny play. I think it was uh, maybe, I was thinking it was the army game. It might've been against uh, ECU, but where there was a, a fumble and it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. The guy picks it up and he just stands there. He doesn't even run with it. He just kind of hangs <laughs> out with the football yeah. and everyone sort of stops playing. And I'm like, man, go. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. He's great. He's a great player, but you know, on the negative side, the reality this year is that the secondary uh, has struggled and, and mm-hmm. it's not unexpected. Uh, Tulane has, lost a bunch of really talented players from the secondary. Uh, Thakarius Keys was drafted by Kansas City last year. Uh, there have been some, you know, there have been some good players coming out of that secondary in recent years, and you got a lot of young guys. And so the thing, when you look at how good the defensive line has been, and then you also look at the fact that Tulane is kind of a below average defense as a whole, that's the problem, right? Is that the teams that have been able to effectively attack the secondary, and yes, they're going to take some heat, and the Tulane defensive line is going to get to you, but you look at Dylan Gabriel at UCF, who at the end of the day, he's going to make the passes. Uh, Clayton Toon at Houston, he was able to make the passes. And, and yeah, sure. Like if you look at that Toon game, Toon had two uh, defensive touchdowns in the first quarter. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. And Houston demolished Tulane yeah. because at the end of the day, you know, once, once, you know, the line slowed down a little bit, he was able to really pick us apart with the passing game. And then once that happened and Tulane started to play a little more conservatively on the line, uh, then you saw that the, the run game really came together too. And I think if, if you know, you're looking for a, a blueprint of what needs to happen here, I think the big thing is going to be, can Zach Smith show up and really take over a game like that? And, you know, 10 touchdowns, the six interceptions, he has thrown some picks. Does he give up some of those turnovers when he's, he's under pressure or, you know, can he play a clean game? And that to me is the biggest single storyline I would look at at this matchup. Yeah, and if history is any teacher, uh, all of his interceptions will come in like the first like seven plays of the game. So <laughs> I'm not looking forward to the first quarter, that's for sure. But after that, we'll see how it goes. Um, so the kind of kind of last one I've got before we had some listener questions, or at least uh, yeah, a few of them that I wanted to get to. But the last one that I had was just kind of a, a general look at this overall series, um, and then thinking about the game itself. So. Uh, Tulsa leads the all-time series 11 to 5, but like I said when we opened this thing up, you guys have won the last three straight, <laughs> and honestly, um, these games are never close. I I didn't really, you know, it it makes sense thinking back on them, but I hadn't I didn't know to the extent they weren't close. 
in the history of the series all time. Uh, not sure if you knew this. Uh, I just learned it yesterday looking things up. Dates back to 1968. There has never been a game closer than a seven-point game. It's always been seven or more. We've never had like a, a one or three-point kind of shootout final stretch win. Um, just nuts. Uh, but yeah, do you, I mean, so with the game opening as a five-point spread, I guess a better question is, instead of who you think wins or loses, uh, do you think it's going to be closer than a seven-point game? The thing I would, you know, that trend is really interesting, right? Because you can think of a bunch of years when Tulsa was a, a pretty good team in Conference USA and Tulane was a disastrous team. And and then you fast forward and Montgomery had that really weird period. I find Tulsa football fascinating. <laughs> I, I left Montgomery for dead yep. miles ago, right? Mm-hmm. And, and to come back this year and put together the team that he has, I think is really impressive. Uh, but at the same time, that was when Tulane figured it out and had competent teams. And I think there was that one game, I might even be imagining some of this, but it was like, what was the score of that game that got played at like 10 o'clock in the morning? I think because a hurricane was coming or something like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. 62 28 game, probably. 62. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Tulane had never scored at that point. I think the stat, I remember tweeting this. At that point, Tulane had never scored, I think, more than 35 points in any AEC game in history. And they put up 62 on. Yeah, on, nice. <laughs> it was like we were like cavemen discovering fire for the first time. That's how exciting it was. Uh, and so, you know, I think to your point about the history, that's the thing I look at, which is this actually should be a pretty good game. I think that's spread at about five points. Like I think if you're, you're you know, I think you definitely give Tulsa the edge uh, given the fact that it's a home game and how well they've played. I think Tulane, you know, obviously coming in on a short week and and you guys coming off this big emotional win, uh, I, I do expect this one to be close. And if I'm, if I'm picking, uh, I would definitely say, I think this it finishes within a touchdown. Yeah, it'd be nice. I hope so. You know, I I'm looking forward to hopefully having one closer than a seven pointer. Um, so, you know, I'm looking forward to the game. Uh, so let's, let's move on. Uh, we've got a few listener questions I wanted to get to, um, three of which are from good friend of the show, Tulsa hop there, but we have another who, uh, another question there. And we'll start off with that one. And you kind of alluded to it um, in your answer just now. So we have a super quick turnaround for this game, right? The game's on Thursday. Uh, we both had uh, games on Saturday this week. And so I guess the the real question that I wanted to get to is, uh, with this quick turnaround, who do you think benefits more from that? You know, it's tough to say. I, I think Tulane, just by a hair, just because we we played like a, an 11 a.m. game on Saturday, which, you know, we're talking a few, a few hours. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> Uh, but I think the other thing that would be a factor is I always think that coming off a win, like you guys had over SMU, it's tough to sustain that energy. Some teams mm-hmm. certainly do it, but uh, I think Tulane is, is playing its best football right now, but I, you know, I boring answer. I think there is, I think there's a lot of parody in this one. I, I really do think this is the closest I've seen these two teams and it's exciting because I think they're close because they're both playing pretty good football right now. Agreed. Just uh, kind of a follow-up. Do you think Tulane has the advantage of that they've played almost twice as many games as Tulsa so far? <laughs> I think it's a huge advantage. Now, I think it's a disadvantage if there were a bunch of injuries, right? You know, if, if Pratt was injured or something like that, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be saying that that's a disadvantage. But Tulane is, is going on game 10. I don't know how many teams in America have played nine games so far. I mean, Tulane has, has had, I, I want to say, you know, credit to Tulane's uh, kind of sports medicine program and everyone around because they've done a really good job using the resources of Tulane's medical center uh, to, to really keep Tulane in a good position on their side. But you also have to get really lucky. I mean, look at you guys, look at Houston, you didn't do anything wrong. And, and yet 
you know, all of a sudden Memphis decided to hit a party bus and all of a sudden there's no game <laughs> happening. Right. Yeah. Uh, so Tulane, I would say that's probably the biggest benefit is that Tulane has had a lot of reps at this point, you know, about as many or more than anyone in college football. So I do think that going into a short week like this, I do think that's a benefit. Yep. Makes sense. Uh, so the, uh, another one that we've got, um, <laughs> so we talked a little bit about like message board style fans and, and kind of how they talk and, uh, but even, even not them, you know, people are always concerned about Willie Fritz leaving, uh, cause he's doing so well and has two lineup at heights that really haven't been seen in a, in a very long time for you guys and seems to be doing a really good job. But, uh, the question is, is there an expiration date for Tulane, uh, for Tulane fans? If he quote unquote only continues to win seven games a year. Yeah, I, I saw this one. Shout out to Hop. These are some cr- you you got. It's like he went into our heads and pulled out the ones. <laughs> I hope you guys can book another hour on this show because I, I'm about to roll. Hey man, I'm excited. So here's the thing. I and, and it's funny because prior to that question, I've been thinking about this a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And there's this this line in Jurassic Park of like, oh, how quickly we lose our sense of wonder, right? Yep. And and to me, that is pretty much the experience of Tulane fans who let's say this thing goes well. Let's say Tulane wins these last two games over a number 25 Tulsa, a legit Tulsa team in Memphis who beat Tulane like a drum. Tulane would finish the season at seven and four, uh, which would be the first time they got seven wins under Willie Fritz, uh, you know, in this, in this era. Uh, or let's say they go one and one and they win a bowl game and you get a seven wins or whatever it is. And, and just for perspective, Tulane won seven wins these last two years. Look, I have no issue. I take no issue with anybody who wants to have high standards for this program. The staff does it. The staff talks about this idea of going from good to great. That is the effort and the initiative of this program to elevate Tulane for the first time to be competitive for a conference championship in AEC. And no one disagrees with that. But it is absolutely incredible. It is a borderline miracle to watch Tulane football sustain success for this long against a really good conference because they played in the worst conference for a bunch of years in Conference USA. And again, they got beaten like a drum. They got embarrassed. There was no one there. And I think that's the challenge, right? Is this idea that I think the reality here is a little bit more of a slow burn. You know, a few things change. They lost two games by a field goal and you might have two more wins this year. It's just, Mm -hmm. we all know this, that football is a game of inches. I think what is so impressive about what Fritz and his staff have done is the level of consistency. And when the team has their back against the wall, like when they were two and four, those are the teams of Tulane pass that would just fold like a lawn chair. And, and that hasn't happened in any of these years. These teams have been able to fight back. And so I know that, that Tulane fans want to see a championship. I think some fans are a little bit quicker on the draw, just in terms of how they see when that needs to happen. But you know, having done this for a while, just in terms of looking at the football program and caring about it so much as a blogger and someone writing about the program and podcasting and all this stuff, it is so incredibly evident that every part of the culture of this program has elevated. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you look at the classes that he's bringing in and the quality of those players. And I I think this is going to be something where, especially if Fritz stays over time, Tulane's going to get their shot. And I'm very confident in that, you know, if if, if Fritz continues to stay. Uh, So I find people who, you know, are willing to say, you know what, a seven win season at Tulane is an abject failure. It's not, it just <laughs> yeah. isn't, you know, that's how I look at it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's you're totally right. Like, and you're and you mentioned the game of inches thing there. I mean, we know that very well as well. So speaking from last season, we had a talented team last year. I think most of the conference recognized that it was a talented team, but we had four wins, right? And many of those games were right on the edge. You know, the SMU game, the Memphis game, those are both, you know, could have been won with a, a field goal made from a pretty short distance. And that's just how it goes sometimes. And the, the fact that people on the two-line side are – it, it, you're, I mean, you when you started saying that it was a miracle, um, and then you went on to say that that it's a miracle that two lines had you know this extended success in, in the American so far. Uh, I thought you were going to say that it's a miracle that the uh, that the message boards can even talk like this because it makes no sense to me. I mean, I, I I look at Tulane and I see a good football team that has a ton of potential to get even better, and the fact that people want to get rid of these these coaches just blows my mind. I do want to be really clear, though, that we are talking about a very fringy part of Tulane's fan base. Yeah, right. Just, just, just full stop, right? <laughs> yeah. A vast majority of fans, because I interact with them. I, I know them. I talk to them online. Like, most people get it and, and are bought in. And it's just, you know, you lose some games. I'm sure you guys went through this last year where it's like, look, being close, there are no moral victories in this league. And it's it's too hard. I mean, it's if you have deficiencies on your team – you're going to lose games and teams that used to struggle are great now. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. you look at even programs like USF and ECU who have been pretty hapless this year. I think they're going to be good. I, I, you know, I think ECU can, can pull it off. I think USF is going to be in a great position once they get going, given the talent they have in their area. Uh, There's no easy wins anymore. Once UConn left, that's just the reality. And I think that if you can win, if your floor is six or seven games, (laughs) you should be pretty happy, yeah. uh, which isn't to say you can't aim for more or that you're not trying for more or that more is, is, you know, where you really see success. But I think there is absolutely no shame in this league of producing winning seasons and to do it in a consecutive basis is a huge credit to Willie Fritz <laughs> and everyone involved in this program. Agreed. Um, so another one, uh, that, I, that <laughs> I'm looking forward to your answer. Cause I, I know that your opinion on him is different than many Tulsa fans opinions. Um, you might've seen this one on Twitter as well, but, uh, our interim AD. So, you know, our AD originally was Derek Gregg. He's off as a senior VP with the NCAA now. Um, so we go and grab an interim and it's, it's Rick Dixon, who I know that, you know, very well. And he, he used to be the AD here, uh, from 1990 to 1994 and, you know, spent, what was it? 19 years or something with Tulane. Uh, so Tulsa hop, uh, wants to know your take on Rick Dixon. Uh, no punches pulled. He says. I think I need to consult my doctor before I'm all <laughs> yeah. allowed to answer back-to-back questions about people who want to fire oh, Willie Fritz <laughs> yeah. and then how do we feel about Rick Dixon. I'm going to try to say this as as objectively as possible uh, in, in the no punches pulled. I've seen a lot of positivity from Tulsa fans about Rick Dixon being back. I understand he's an alum, right? He went to Tulsa. Correct. Played here. I have no need to convince anyone to be unhappy. I think if you are happy... I think you should continue to do that. But I, I am a man of facts. And let me give you some straight facts here. Uh, Rick Dixon was our AD from basically early 2000s all the way until I think around 20s, yeah, 2016. Um, so basically the year that Willie Fritz came was the same year that Troy Danning came, who was our new athletic director, uh, who the first thing he had to do in his first four weeks was make a football hire. And he did a good job with that one. Yeah. Now, prior to that, Tulane really across all sports, made the wrong hires on a consistent basis. They would then double down on those hires. You can look at Chris Gelfo, who uh, was at Tulane from basically 1999 until 2006, 
with, I think, only two bowl teams in that time. He continued to get extensions. That, to me, is not as much the smoking gun as when we get into the later years of the Dixon era, uh, when you had people like Bob Toledo, uh, who former UCLA coach, who was an absolute disaster while coaching at Tulane. Uh, and then I think the one that really concerned us and, and said a lot about who we were as a program was when Tulane was moving into the AEC, you know, a better football program, leaving the UTSAs and Southern Misses behind in Conference USA. Mm -hmm. uh, Tulane went out and got, with the Tulane job, they went out and got a wide receivers coach from the New Orleans Saints, Curtis Johnson, who was a coach for five years at Tulane uh, and went to one bowl game during that time in a year when they should have been much better and they won seven games. And what I'm getting at here is that when you are making a decision, when, when other teams in the conference are hiring Tom Herman or Tulsa's hiring Philip Montgomery uh, or, you know, whatever, insert, insert the, the name of your choosing. And Tulane is out there hiring somebody who is a staffer from an NFL team uh, who's never called, coached a, a college football program at this level before. Right. It says a lot about the kind of complete lack of understanding of, of what you need to do. And I think that, that if we take the emotions out of it, I think that the objective fact is Rick Dixon, Rick Dixon whether you look at the football program or the men's basketball program, uh, bad decisions were made on a consistent basis. And in a lot of the time, uh, either these coaches were extended when they shouldn't, or you look at Curtis Johnson, who I think there's a lot of things that people liked about CJ, you know, his, his uh, kind of connection with, with the community, I think his personality, who he was as a person. And yet those teams, as I mentioned before, were some of the worst offenses in college football every yeah. single year. And for there to be no pressure whatsoever to change offensive coordinators, Tulane had the same offensive coordinator for all five years while being one of the worst college football teams in the country in terms of offense. And there's no pressure to change. It drove people crazy. That is point number one. <laughs> and I'm going to close on point number two. And that is that the other thing that I think really drove people to a point of frustration with Rick Dixon was it felt like we were disconnected from the athletics department. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Troy Dannon, RAD now is, is highly engaged, right? He has a Twitter. He talks to us. He talks, he's been on our podcast before. I think the challenge that people saw was that not only was Tulane going through this dark ages, but it really felt like, you know, we had no insight into where the program was going. And, you know, to be fair, there are things that I think people would point to and say that, 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 that they appreciate Dixon for, uh, you know, whether it is the fact that Tulane almost lost its football program, that there was a conversation with the president around deprioritizing it and, and Tulane football ultimately remained. Dixon famously was in charge of the football of all programs after Katrina, right. which was another time when, you know, you could have lost something like the football program. Uh, you know, Tulane, shockingly, despite the reality of its athletics program, got into the AEC that again was under Dixon. But I think when you take the totality of evidence, uh, we would be very concerned for you if you ultimately have to choose, you know, who your future coaches are going to be, because it just 20 years of data and there really were no wins, right? Uh, there's like not one hire that you're like, wow, you know, we really hit the nail on the head there. They were all bad and they got extended and maybe you learn and he's at his school. Maybe he understands Tulsa in a way that he didn't understand the value proposition of Tulane, but you know, you look at the, the history of Tulane Tulsa and guess who is the AD of Tulane at the time that a lot of those wins were happening for you guys. And, and I would be a little nervous about that. So uh, again, I don't mean to scare anyone. I think that if it works out for you guys, great, that's a great thing. But I think that's the perspective from Tulane fans. 
Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense. I, I when we first made that hire, I know that I saw I saw you and a lot of uh, Tulane fans talking about it, and I totally understand where that's coming from. And the idea, you know, when honestly, if I'm if I'm being honest, when we made that hire, I was also like, oh no, you know, like oh gosh, what is what's happening? Um, but you know, I've kind of I've kind of come around, not in terms of. I want him to be there as our full-time AD. And that's not even a point of contention, right? He's, he is straight up said, I'm not going to be, I don't want to be the full-time AD. He's very much doing us a favor. Like he was living in new Orleans, happily retired uh, when Derek Rag left. And uh, it sounded from, you know, every, every bit and piece that I've heard um, is that we basically just begged him for help. You know, we needed a stopgap, somebody to come manage the programs uh, in the meantime, while, while we're going through a pandemic as well as a, uh, uh, budget disaster at the university. So I, I understand, uh, the, the frights and fear, um, and maybe laughing that Tulane is doing at, at Tulsa hiring, um, Rick Dixon as the interim AD. But I think the fact that he's coming in on an interim basis and, uh, I mean, honestly, it seems like he's having some fun. He introduced that juju hat. I don't know if you've seen that, but that's been kind of a hit. So that's been probably the highlight of his, uh, his stay so far. And I think that's good perspective. You're an interim, right? You know, have some fun, keep the lights on. It's not that big of a deal. I, right. I think the place where I think I read a story that was like, maybe he should be the guy forever. And I'm like, it's like that, that meme of the guys <laughs> carrying the coffin. I'm like, good luck yeah, with that right. guys. Um, <laughs> you know, cause if you guys are having a good season, like who, and I, I'm not wishing this on you guys and who knows, I haven't really seen the conversation around this, but if uh, some program picked up Montgomery and all of a sudden he has to make the hire, that's my concern. And, and, right. and like I said, people grow and, you know, maybe he understands what it takes to win at Tulsa in a way that he didn't understand what it took to win at Tulane. Uh, but it's just like, there wasn't a model, you know, you look at who Tulane hires now, whether it's for the college baseball coach who now had Tulane in the top 25. Uh, or if you look at the football program with Willie Fritz, the basketball program has not yet turned around, but a lot of people, you know, mm -hmm. like Ron Hunter and are pretty bought into what he's going to do for sure. And, Tulane elevated its game in, in going for established coaches with experience coaching successful college programs. And for years, we didn't do that. We just seemed to kind of take who was left, you know, and it was <laughs> not a recipe for success. Yep. Yep. Makes sense. Um, all right. So enough of the, uh, uh, let's, you know, turn the mood around more positive here. Another one uh, from Tulsa Hop. And I love this question because I disagree with it. But what is the what is the best Tulane logo, and why is it the Bacon Wave? You know, shout to Hop. I'm a I'm a big Bacon Wave aficionado. Bacon <laughs> Wave is divisive in our community. You know, there are actually people who get mad at me on Twitter anytime that I'm posting about the Bacon Wave. For anyone unfamiliar, it is a T, and it has a piece of bacon kind of going through it to represent a wave. That's a really good one. I, I think Angry Wave is going to be so near and dear to our hearts for you know the rest of our lives, just because it put Tulane on the map for sure. Even before the football program started to show uh, some signs of life, and I think if there's anything uh, that I would put out there in terms of logos, it, it's my disappointment that Puff the Magic Hurricane uh, <laughs> has not made his reappearance. Because if you guys put that, I swear to God, if you guys put that on your helmets and came yeah. out on Thursday night on a national game, and Tulane is wearing powder blue Angry Wave stuff. It would light the internet on fire. No doubt. No doubt about it. Like I have, I want it so bad. You know, we always, we're going to do it again this week. I'm sure we have that graphic that our, one of our, our former co-hosts, Pat Fox made. It's the battle of the color-based water phenomenon. It's got the angry wave and it's got the <laughs> puff, the magic hurricane. I, I love that name, by the way. 
Um, Tulsa Puff Jr. I think you called it in the past as well. I'm workshopping uh, a few. We're, we're yeah, figuring man. I mean, yeah. they're it's just such a good like they both they're like the same. They could be cousins. You know, I I love to see them on the field at the same time. Uh, man, God, if that happens, it would be wonderful. Gotta agree. Definitely agree. <laughs> so you're saying that Angry Wave is your if you you know would you would you put that a tier above Bacon Wave? I would. I would go number one, Angry Wave, uh, and then I would go number two. And I, I would say my number two, uh, I'd go Bacon Wave, then I would go, sorry, one Angry Wave, two Bacon Wave. Uh, three for me is the Slugger Birds, which I know you guys don't have a baseball program, but Tulane's uh, basically has these like cool pelicans. Yes. So it's kind of like the Cardinals uh, logo. They're on the bats, the Slugger Birds. They're great. It's great. Uh, the only one that I'd say I'm out of line you know, just in terms of society and the general public is, uh, the surfing Pelican, which is in the home field collection, shout out to home field. Right. Uh, and I have a shirt. I like it. Don't get me wrong. I just don't, I don't enjoy him as much as the other ones. And I think specifically they wore the surfing Pelican for the UCF game and everyone loved it. I'm in the 1% on this one, not as much my thing. So I put that maybe a step back, but I think in the like elite tier of, of two lane logos, you gotta go bacon wave got to go angry wave and you know i think those are just those are just great logos yeah i mean no doubt about it uh, the angry wave probably my favorite logo in all of college athletics in general uh the pel- the uh the pelican is its name is riptide is that right that's right that's riptide okay. yeah gotcha cool okay so the last one and <laughs> i love this question as well uh do you miss redacted fans and for those who are uninitiated redacted equals UConn. Although I think I'm probably not supposed to say that, but <laughs> do you miss redacted fans even a little bit, or was it all ruined when they finally installed lights at their baseball field? Yeah, this is like for anyone who's not big on Twitter, uh, the funniest thing, it all goes back to a two lane UConn baseball series that was canceled because uh, UConn did not have lights at their baseball stadium. Yeah. So while they would, you know, talk a lot of smack, we'll say to the rest of the conference, they couldn't afford to invest in this invention right. by uh, <laughs> that newfangled Thomas Edison. So we'll see if lights catch on, but they, they apparently have done it now. You know, it's, it, I miss specific people. You know what I mean? Like there's definitely some people on UConn Twitter that, that I was a, a fan of. And, and I, I just enjoyed some of the, they just, their hostility kind of worked. I think UCF, it's like, you, you can't do it. It's like once you, you, you light the fire and now you've created a whole societal ruin because right. uh, no one backs off from that. I think UConn definitely had the ability to, to kind of make it happen. But, uh, you know, football season, they weren't going to get better. In fact, they were going to get a lot worse. Um, you know, basketball season, they seem to be where they would want to be. I, only for baseball. I will miss UConn for baseball because I, I did like the way, other than the lights thing, I thought they were a quality program. It was always funny when you would see like some dude from Worcestershireville, Massachusetts or whatever, <laughs> like who threw 97 and ended up at UConn and played in the snow during the spring. It was an interesting program and I'll miss them for that. Yeah, for sure. Good stuff. Um, Matt, did you have any any final questions you wanted to ask? No, uh, I think we hit pretty much everything that I had. Nice. Well, hey, JP, man, it's always awesome having you on. I always really enjoy the conversation. Definitely will have to do it again during basketball. Before we let you go, um, anything else you want to – I mean, go ahead, I guess, plug your Twitter handle, where for you the waves at. I know the newsletter is going out that covers some AAC stuff as well, so plug what you want to plug here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If anyone wants to check us out on Twitter, we're at Fear the Wave blog. We also have a weekly newsletter, uh, which is at fearthewave.substack.com. We'll be doing our Tulsa preview on Wednesday. And we don't just talk Tulane. We talk about specific matchups. 
our guy Kelly, shout to Kelly, breaks down the game film. It's terrific. If I do have to say so myself, but guys, pleasure being here and thank you for having me back. All right, JP, thank you very much. And we'll uh, talk to you later.